2023 could be deemed the year of the blame game, as it seems no one wants to take responsibility for a problem. From the economy, to food shortages, to the rise in mental health illnesses, to relationship troubles, the latest target for the woes of the world is the world itself. I'm Sky Nell Hughes, and on this edition of 360 View, we are going to look at the validity of the climate change blame game. Let's get started. Remember when everything caused cancer? Well, now climate change causes everything. People are blaming natural disasters, the conflict in Ukraine, divorce, and even a rise in domestic abuse on climate change. You know who isn't getting the blame? The big corporations who dump millions of tons of waste into our oceans and landfills every year, killing fish and sending toxic chemicals into our land and waterways. Maybe climate change isn't the problem. It's the pollution of the world we live in with not just actual toxic waste, but the secular worldview eating its way into our politics, schools, businesses, and even homes. Corrupt governments are what caused a war in Ukraine. The rise in social media with too many options, the inability to commit to monogamy, and disillusion of the sacred bond of marriage is what is actually causing divorce. Greedy power companies are sparking massive wildfires and ill-equipped idiots in the desert causing the Burning Man fiasco. The excuse of climate change simply is being used to divert power to authoritarian governments, all to gain control of how you commute to work, when you heat your home, and yes, even cook on your stove. But what is the actual science behind climate change? Joining me now to discuss whether there is any validity to the blame climate change game is Patrick Moore, ecologist and environmentalist, founding member of Greenpeace. Thank you for joining us, Patrick. Patrick, I want to start off. Do you think climate change has become a scapegoat for the various challenges facing society today? Well, I'm not sure about scapegoat, but it certainly has become a way of filling people full of terror and scaring them half to death and therefore being much more pliant in obeying uh, the people in charge. I, I think it's being used as a weapon. Uh, there, there's no doubt at all that it's a complete falsehood uh, that there is a climate emergency or a climate crisis of any kind. The weather has been happening since the world began. That was 4.6 billion years ago. And it was much more extreme in many times in the past. It was only 20,000 years ago when the entire country of Canada and half of Russia were covered in a sheet of ice more than a mile thick. And then that, that melted partly. We're still in the Pleistocene Ice Age. That's another ridiculous assertion that it's getting too hot when in fact this is one of the coldest periods in the history of the Earth. That is why there are these huge ice sheets on the Arctic and Antarctica and they are not going away anytime soon. They keep, you know, Al Gore predicted they'd be gone already. Uh, they're not. They're still there in force. In the, in, the, in, the, in the winter, the Arctic Ocean, there isn't one square inch of it that isn't frozen over. They always show you the summer ice when it shrinks back from the Russia and from North America uh, to cover about half the Arctic Ocean. But then every winter, it covers the entire Arctic Ocean. Uh, the other factor that is is so important is that there is no historical evidence that CO2 is a main driver of temperature at 
and not even in the slightest. It's been out of sync with temperature for most of the history of the Earth, and it happens to be that we're in a slight warming period now, and we started replenishing the atmosphere with CO2, which had come down to a level lower than it ever had been in the history of the Earth. That's 4.6 billion years. 20,000 years ago, in the peak of the most recent glaciation in this Pleistocene Ice Age, CO2 sank to 180 parts per million, which is only 30 parts per million above when plants start to die. We are replenishing the CO2 that life took out of the atmosphere and the oceans over the last three billion years, most of it in the last half billion years, when sea creatures learned to make shells from calcium carbonate. All those shells up and end up on the bottom of the ocean turning into limestone or the White Cliffs of Dover, which are the skeletons of coccolithophores, which are a microscopic phytoplankton, a plant at the base of the food chain in the sea. There, there are 100 million billion tons of carbon locked up in carbonaceous rocks, all of which is of life origin, all of which was sucked out of the ocean and to some extent the atmosphere. The atmosphere, the forests turned into coal, uh, so that was atmospheric CO2 that ended up buried in the ground forever until we came along. So in fact, we are the salvation of life in that we are replenishing the CO2 that life inadvertently, I mean, they didn't do it, it the, the plankton weren't thinking, let's take the, all the CO2 out of that water, but that's what happened because they invented a way to make armor plating for themselves. If you think of a clam, imagine how easy it would be for a predator to get a clam if it didn't have that shell on it. The shells are like armor on a knight. And so the, many, many, many species figured out how to do that. And that's why there's 100 million billion tons of carbon in the form of carbonaceous rocks. Limestone, marble, and chalk are all of life origin. And they all contain carbon that came from carbon dioxide. It's, I could go on forever about this subject, but I'll leave it there. But that is the truth. Is there a difference between climate change and global warming? As they are often confused, it seems. Well, they, they, they changed it to climate change when it stopped warming for about 20 years back in the 90s. And so then they said, well, uh, all of a sudden now a change to cooling was, was called climate change. You can't call it global warming because it was cooling. So it goes in cycles on cycles on cycles. The most interesting one in modern times is the 1,000-year cycle, the, the Roman warm period 2,000 years ago, then, then the, the Dark Ages, which was a cold period and a miserable period in, the, in around 500 AD, then 1,000 AD came the, the medieval warm period, which was even warmer than now in some places. And, and then it went into another cold period called the Little Ice Age, peaking around 1600 AD. And since then, for the last 400 years uh, or so, it has been warming slightly, one degree Celsius. It's, not, it's absolutely not even significant, the level of warming that has occurred. The Earth was so much warmer than this prior to this ice, ice age we're in, and that is the great irony. They're saying it's a, a climate emergency of heat when 10 times as many people die from cold as die from heat even in Asia and Africa, in the, in the warmer countries, more people die from cold than from heat. Those stats are irrefutable. It's easy to find them. 
and it, it's a fact. We are, in fact, a tropical species. We're not like polar bears, which are indeed a polar species that evolved because the ice came. And they, the polar bear is a descendant of the Eurasian brown bear, which we call grizzly bears. They came here from the old world when you could walk across the Bering Land Bridge during the glaciations. And so the polar bear is actually would not exist if it weren't for climate change, because it didn't exist before the Earth went into the Ice Age two and a half million years ago. And probably about a million and a half years ago, the bears were able to get on the ice and hunt seals and eventually evolved into what we have today called the polar bear, which is half, half again as big as the brown bear it, it, it descended from because they have to pull a 300-pound seal out of a hole in the ice, so they needed to be stronger to be more efficient. And they turned white because of the ice being a camouflage. And their digestive system is geared more to a carnivorous diet, whereas the bears on land have a lot of plant matter in their diet. So that, that's, it, it is kind of ironic that if it weren't for climate change, there would be no polar bears. And yet they're saying that climate change is a threat to the existence of polar bears and show a picture of one swimming in the water as if it doesn't know where it's going. Their nickname is sea bears, and they know when they jump in the water where they're going. They don't just jump in and go off to be drowned or whatever, like they make out. And then they show a really old bear in the summer when there's no snow on the ground, so it looks like the Arctic ice has gone, which it does on the islands up there in the summer. And uh, it, it's dragging its hind feet because it's so old, it's probably lost all its teeth. And polar bears don't, there's no old folks' homes for polar bears. They die in the wild, and, and when you take a picture of one, like National Geographic did, and then put underneath, this is the face of climate change, as if climate change caused the bear to get old. You know, it, it, it just goes way too far, and, and pretty well all the publications in, in, in the world, except for a few, have bought into this sensationalism about the climate, when in fact, there is no crisis about the climate. Hurricanes have been with us forever. When the earth warms, actually hurricanes diminish because when the earth warms, as it was millions of years ago, the poles are much warmer, but the equator stays about the same. And back to us being tropical species, we came from the equator. We came out of Africa only because we had fire, shelter, and clothing. We could not live in most of the world if we didn't have those things. We would die of the cold very quickly, like the first winter coming on, if we went, if we went out of Africa without those necessities. And so the, you know, the control of fire, of course, was, I guess you could mark that as the beginning of human civilization when apes turned into people. And, and it went on from there to inventing all kinds of tools and et cetera. But just look at us today, 8 billion people are actually able to survive with way fewer in poverty than were when there was only 4 billion people or 2 billion people. And now they're telling us we have to give up our main energy source, fossil fuels, in order to save the world from climate disaster. This is the stupidest decision that has been made by the high-level people in our, our society and our politics, the stupidest decision that has ever been made in human history other than going into world wars. I mean, this, this could be even worse than a world war if we were actually to stop using more than 80% of the energy we use 
to keep ourselves alive every day. How much of this is happening because of man's actions versus the natural progression? Well, we have had effects on the environment, of course. We've turned forests into fields to grow food. We've made cities, uh, but in fact, the cities don't even cover 3% of the land, and the land is only uh, about 25% of the surface of the earth. There's no cities in the oceans. So the, 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 the urban areas uh, of this world don't cover uh, very much at all. And I, I don't understand why people don't just look out the window when they're flying across the country and see how much of it is green and beautiful and productive. It's, it's not as if we've turned it into a, 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 de a dead landscape or anything. Uh, a, a mine, yes, a very tiny fraction of the earth is, is affected by mines. And when they finish with them now, they revegetate them. And same with the oil sands in Canada. They show these pictures of the earth being dug up, which are not very pretty. But all of those areas are re reclaimed with native vegetation and trees. And it just look, looks like nothing's ever happened there. And it's a blink in the eye of history uh, to have that place being opened up for a short period of time while you take the minerals or the oil or whatever it is you need. Very interesting. Thank you, Patrick. Please stick around. Because after the break, we are going to look at the motivation behind the climate change hysteria. We need to counter the Russian state-controlled narrative. Als Teil der Sanktionen gegen Russland gehen die westlichen Länder gegen russische Auslandssender vor. Mais écoutez monsieur, c'est pas à vous de décider de qui est journaliste ou pas dans ce pays, on est en France quoi, c'est pas possible. We will ban in the European Union the Kremlin's media machine. The state-owned Russia Today and Sputnik. RT, Sputnik, even our video agency, roughly all banned on YouTube. Et merci à vous tous pour votre fidélité et votre soutien. Take a fresh look around at life. Kaleidoscopic, isn't it? A shattered reality distorted by power. Tired vision with no real opinions. Pictures designed to simplify or confuse. Who really wants a better world? And is it just for the chosen few? Fractured images presented as fact. Can you see through their illusions? Going underground can. Hi, I'm Rick Sanchez, and I'm here to plead with you. Whatever you do, do not watch my new show. Seriously, why watch something that's so different? Why listen to opinions that you won't get anywhere else? Look, if it pleases you to have the State Department, the CIA, weapons makers, multi-billion dollar corporations choose your facts for you, go ahead. Why change? And whatever you do, don't watch my show. Stay mainstream, because I'm probably going to make you uncomfortable. My show is called Direct Impact. But again, you probably don't want to watch it, because it might just change the way you think. 
We are back with our guest, Patrick Moore, ecologist and environmentalist, founding member of Greenpeace. Patrick, who is profiting off of this? Hundreds of organizations, maybe it's thousands of organizations are profiting from this fear. People are giving them money uh, in order to save them from the climate catastrophe. And then you have the, the interesting fact that the two largest assemblages of private jets in the world are at the World Economic Forum in Davos and at the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change meeting, which happens in different capitals around the, the world each year. They're the ones who have the, all the private jets because they're the, the, the wealthiest people in the world and they are taking advantage of this and and some of the harebrained schemes that come out Bill Gates just gave six million dollars to an organization which their pro project is to cut all the trees down in 10,000 square miles that's 70 million acres of forest and bury the trees in the ground so the carbon can't go back into the atmosphere when the trees decompose. Instead of using it for firewood or buildings or paper, they're going to bury all, all these trees in the ground and I guess eventually they'll turn into coal in a million years or two and uh, then they won't be allowed to dig them out and use them for fuel because we wouldn't want that carbon dioxide getting in the air. I'll tell you one thing to remember. Anybody who calls CO2 carbon should immediately be dismissed. Scientists do not call things that they aren't. Carbon is a different thing. Carbon is graphite. Carbon is soot. Carbon has a lot of forms just as an atom, an element. Buckyballs is another one. We invented them, at, named after Buckminster Fuller. Uh, it's uh, an amazing lattice work of carbon because carbon has four bonds on it and so it can and it and it can combine with nearly a, a, every other atom in the world that's why it is the center of life because life has a lot of very complex compounds in it and carbon is able to be part of all of them uh, whether it's the proteins or the fats or the sugars or you know they're, they're not part of bone as far as i know but they're part of all the fleshy parts of us is made of carbon and so people who call CO2 carbon should be dismissed immediately because they are, they are distorting uh, the, the use of language if you're going to be talking about science. They call us carbon change or, or climate change deniers and carbon deniers. And we don't deny anything. We just know certain things are true and, and other things are not. And what there is, again, I repeat, there is no evidence in the long-term history of the Earth that CO2 is a major player in the temperature of the Earth's climate. None whatsoever. It is, it is just a made-up thing. The reason I titled my book Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom and that I, I coined the term the... Uh, fake invisible catastrophes because almost everything that is used as a scare story is something invisible. Carbon dioxide is clearly invisible. No one can see what it's doing. No one can feel what it's doing. The same thing for radiation. They use it as, as a boogeyman when in fact there's over a hundred nuclear plants in North America and nobody's ever been hurt by them, never mind killed. 
The only, the, you know, the last people that were killed by a nuclear plant were in Chernobyl, which was a stupid designed nuclear plant. It blew up. No other plant has ever blown up like that. And, and, and unfortunately in Fukushima, they allowed the hydrogen gas to explode in the containment structures that could easily have been breached and let it out. So it didn't do that. They, one after another, they let that happen. That, that was, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a comedy of errors, a, a, a tragedy of errors. And it didn't need to happen. There were so many things wrong with how Fukushima was designed and how badly they handled the accident. Still, no one was killed in that accident by radiation. Two people were killed by the tsunami when it came ashore an hour after the earthquake. And 20,000 people died uh, just from the tsunami itself, never mind any radiation. I mean, they made it seem as though Fukushima was more important than the 20,000 people being washed into the sea. So, uh, that, but that's because it's invisible. My favorite one is GMOs. What is in GMOs that is bad? What's its name? Apparently it doesn't have a name. Therefore, it doesn't exist. It's just a made-up thing. There's nothing bad in GMOs. And any scientist who is understanding biology knows that to be true. But they still carry on as if there is something bad going to happen to you if you eat a genetically modified food. And even the term genetically modified is misused. We are all genetically modified. No, none of us look exactly like our parents. We are half, half and half our, our mother and father. So we are, we are a modification of the original genetics that was in either one of them. And it, 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 it's very hard to uh, be a scientist these days and buck the tide as you have to uh, if you know what's true. As the founder of Greenpeace, you obviously care about the earth. So does blaming climate change hurt the conservation movement? Very much so. Uh, if indeed they took away all the fossil fuels, we would ravage this planet pretty badly to try and stay alive. And, you know, the, the reason I left Greenpeace was very clear. Uh, all the campaigns we did while I was there, I agreed with, uh, except I was wrong about nuclear energy back then. Uh, so many of us got caught up in that uh, idea that radiation was going to harm everybody. Uh, it took me quite a while to realize that nuclear energy should not be lumped in with nuclear weapons. It should be lumped in with nuclear medicine as a, a beneficial use of nuclear technology. But beyond that, it came a time when I was the only international director of Greenpeace of the six of us that had any formal science education. The rest were activists and pol politics and all of that. And they decided that Greenpeace should start a campaign to ban chlorine worldwide because chlorine is very toxic. It's part of DDT, it's part of PCBs, it's part of all kinds of chlorinated hydrocarbons. But it's also the most important element for protecting public health by putting it into our drinking water and preventing cholera and other waterborne diseases. It's also, that 75% of our medicines are made with chlorine chemistry and 25% of them have chlorine in them. If you look at, the, at your flu and cold medications, you'll see a little CL after some of the uh, 
compounds in there. And in addition, table salt, sodium chloride, is an essential nutrient. You could kill yourself if you put a cup of it in your stomach. You'd dehydrate and die. And that's the way toxicity, uh, the main uh, mantra uh, in toxicity is the poison is in the dose. Many elements and compounds are essential at low doses. Don't hurt you much if you take too much more of it, but it eventually will kill you. And chlorine is one of those. And so I just said, you guys, you got to be slightly more nuanced about this because chlorine is one of the most important elements for life as well as being something that can kill you if you breathe it in as an element, like the Germans used it in World War I as a weapon. And, you know, you can use a gun for hunting or for murder. Uh, so it, it, it's just ridiculous. I said, you guys, we, I can't be here if you're going to be against chlorine. And that was the way it worked. I just wrote a nice letter and said, see you later. Thank you, Patrick Moore, ecologist and environmentalist, founding member of Greenpeace. There is no doubt the climate is changing, but how much of that is based on the actions of mankind or just an aging planet? Maybe I would have a better time respecting the politicians and scientists if their life reflected their own sermons. I'm Sky Nell Hughes, and this has been your 360 view of the news affecting you. Thanks for watching.